You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 167. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find podcasts. We hope we're there. And uh, hey, if you can, uh, leave us a review. We really do appreciate it. We really like it. It always puts a smile on our face. Uh, even though I've threatened you with DJ voices and apparently some of you are crazy and you like those and you let us know in your reviews that you do like the DJ voices anyways. So maybe my threat backfired. Maybe my threat was an empty promise or empty threat. I don't know anymore. I'm, I'm confused. Uh, yeah, me too. Uh, but if you visit us at cuttingbox.net, <laughs> you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. And you can send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'm Joe Zach. And I think it's uh, Internet One and I'm Michael Outlaw Zero. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring and security platform for end-to-end visibility into your Java applications and shortcut, because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. Okay, so uh, as we like to do, uh, we like to say thank you to everyone who left us a re- review. So... Um, I'm going to try these and I hope it goes well. Uh, Oh, maybe I'm not trying. I'm stealing the second one. Okay. Okay. So, uh, let's see from iTunes. We have Badri Ravi and I'll let you take audible. Okay. Audible. We have dysrhythmic and we have Brent and dysrhythmic was one of the ones who wrote in and was like, Oh yeah, this is all about the DJ voices, right? Like, so so they're here to stay, man. That's two episodes in a row. We've gotten reviews that say more, more. Also, I still love your name, Dysrhythmic. Just letting you know. <laughs> See, the problem that I have with this is that I don't mind like being like on the joke part of that where like I would do a late night DJ voice, but I hate hearing you guys do it. Like it makes my ears bleed a little bit when I hear it. Uh, well, I also feel like I don't do a good job of it, so it just comes off weird. <laughs> uh, which I kind of, I don't know. That's probably why I like it. Uh, it really feels like a Saturday night live sweaty, uh, you know, <laughs> impersonation when I hear you do it. If, if I'm being honest, uh, that's awesome. All right. So what do we have coming up in October there, Jay-Z? All right. Uh, Atlanta code camp. It is $10, but you get free lunch. You used to get free shirts. I don't know if that's going on this year, but it's a, a superior, excellent, awesome event. Uh, all day, lots of good stuff going on there, and we're going to be there. Uh, we're planning on having a booth, and uh, we will, uh, I don't know, hang out. Are we? I mean, we keep saying that. Oh, yeah, we I guess I need to get it. on that. Yeah, that's there, not oh, bad. I thought we had a booth. Well, may, <laughs> maybe maybe we'll have a hammock out front. Who knows? We'll, but we'll be there. We'll, we'll have a booth soon. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So... <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I mean, I, I imagine if they're listening and they're like, well, they keep saying they're going to. If they would remind me that I'd get on it, right? So, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll be there, and we'll be giving some talks and whatnot. Now, now, I do have a question about that. Can you say that something's $10, and then you get a free lunch? I don't know that that's accurate. I'm just... Yeah, you but know. you're getting so much more for that $10 that I think that the lunch you could consider free. 
I I don't know. Wouldn't you just consider it like a percentage of the ten dollars? Like maybe I mean, maybe you, could. you get for for your ten dollars, you have the opportunity to meet the one and only Joe Zach, and I feel like that's got to be worth it, right? That's that's, that's worth uh, something. That's worth maybe the price $9. of admission. Yeah, nine dollars. The, the lunch is not well, bad, but I would not pay. He's <laughs> not worth a full ten dollars. <laughs> But I'll say like the lunch is uh, fantastic, but I would not pay $10 for this lunch under normal circumstances. Right. (laughs) It's like there's, um, you know, they have vegetarian options. Sometimes they have sandwiches. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they might have pizza or something, you know, just depending. Uh, And it's all, it's great. Really is. But when you think about everything that goes into that conference and there's even like donuts and breakfast in the morning, it wouldn't pay for two things of coffee. You know, not, it may not even pay for one thing of coffee at this event. So the, the price is really a nominal, just like make sure people show up and they don't order a bunch of extra lunches, which yeah, can yeah. happen. Totally true. It, it is worth the $10. So if you are in the Atlanta area and you will be here around October 9th, you should come join us. All right. So this is, we're doing another talk because we're all, we're all brain dead He's- from. Microservices, man. These darn microservices. <laughs> Every time we go back and look at them, we're like, oh, it hurts. So so we will get back to the microservices thing here soon. But there was some interesting news that came out. So everybody has heard us just spew love for Docker, right? And, and containers in general. So Docker just made an announcement uh, the other day, as a matter of fact, that – may have an impact on your usage of it, whether or not you work for a company or whether you just do things personally. So I have a link here for the the blog post that they put out on their updated subscriptions. But the gist of it is, if you are just a person using this, you can continue to use it for free. Life is good. Just keep keep going on about your way, right? If you are somebody that works for a business with less than 250 people, or less than $10 million in revenue a year, you're also probably okay. You can just use it. If you go above that 250 users or above that $10 million in revenue a year, you got to start paying for this stuff. So go ahead. It's not 250 users. It was 250 employees. Employees. Oh, good call. That's a big distinction. Huge difference. Yes, my bad. Um, Yeah. So more than 250 employees in in your business. So what that means is you're going to have to start paying to use Docker desktop. Um, So, which is a tool that I know the three of us use heavily. Um, So, oh, well, you don't use it? Nope. You don't use Docker desktop? Nope. How do you run Docker? Do you get install it? Well, you're doing Minikube now, but you have used Docker desktop quite a bit. Minikube for... Well, I use Docker desktop on uh, Windows, but I'm doing everything through Minikube. On so, yeah, but how do you do your Docker builds? How do I do my Docker builds? I'm using the Minikube Docker instance. You can use it. So Minikube has a Docker daemon built into it that you can. There's actually a command. I think if you type in Docker or if you type in Minikube Docker EMV or something like that, it'll actually spit out a command that you can run that will make it to where all your Docker commands flow through Minikube, just like it was the Docker runtime. It's an eval command. I don't remember off the top of my head. Cause I always just, uh, eval dollar sign doc, Minikube Docker dash ENV. Yes. Minikube Docker dash ENV. Well, the Minikube, spit out the command. Minikube Docker 
dash E and V would be in parentheses. So eval dollar and then the other thing. Yep. So it'll spit out the command for you. You can just copy and paste it and run it and it'll allow you to do it. So, you know, be aware that the Docker is updating their subscription and the terms for using the tools and all that kind of stuff, which, you know, on one hand, it kind of stinks. On the other hand, good for them, right? Like I will say like a lot of us have used a lot of Docker over the years and, and depending on what the subscription model is and all that, if it's $5 per um, developer or something like that, and again, I don't know if it's per employee or whatever, it, I mean, that's that's not terrible, especially given the amount of use and the amount of time saving that you might get out of it. But, but be aware of it. And Minikube is a fantastic alternative. And something that a lot of people don't know that this might be worth inspecting too or, or just digging into a little bit further is Docker, if I remember right, when you do a build on Docker, it actually creates images that are in OCI. So open container. Um, what does I mean? I can't even remember. Uh, initiative, the open container initiative. So it does it in an OCI compliant way. So there are other tool sets out there for creating and running these images that are OCI, you know, available. So just be aware that, Docker is not the only game in town. It is the most popular uh, and, and it's very polished at this point too. So, you know, again, news coming from them, you have to, this has to be done by January, 2022, right? Like you have to update your subscription model or whatever. So, you know, now that I think about it, I'm questioning myself on what I was saying, because um, I think to even install the CLI though, you had to use you had to Docker do, use Docker desktop to install the CLI, even though I don't technically use the Docker desktop, you know, UI or anything like that. And like I said, I do bind it to the, you know, I use the daemon from Minikube. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll have to do some digging into that to find out, I but think, it, it, that's a pretty big announcement coming from them. Yeah. It's pretty, man, that's, Imagine how many companies are doing that. <laughs> like it's almost, it almost makes you think that, like, uh, I, I really, I really question the timing, honestly, because w- what was it like um, a few months back now, maybe six or so. Do you remember there was a big, uh, like, I don't know, hoopla or whatever. Like it was, a, it was being misrepresented about Kubernetes switching you know, like oh, Kubernetes is dropping Docker. It was like, you know, there was a whole bunch of like misinformation going around like that. And it wasn't that Kubernetes was dropping Docker. It was that Kubernetes was going to an, uh, the standard open container, uh, was moving to the open container standard and not necessarily caring that it was specifically Docker. Right. right. And so now I'm like, well, if Docker is going to force this kind of thing to, you know, for companies to pay this kind of just going to like, force the hand of people who are already in like a Kubernetes world, for example, to like, Oh, well, I guess we'll look at this other thing then. Cause maybe we don't need Docker, like specifically Docker. It's such a shame because Docker has had such a transformational product, oh, but they man. just didn't have the way to monetize it. So, you know, they sold off their services. They got bought, you know, they got by Mirantis or whatever. Like there's not, you know, hold left, a whole lot left of the company to make money on. And it's so important. It's so big. They're still supporting all this stuff. 
it's used by so many people and the money is just not, it's like flowing all around them, but not to them. It's crazy. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I don't, I don't hate on them for making this decision. Right. Like I, I I think that companies should be able to make a living. Like you make a product, you build like that's a polished product, right? Like, you know, Docker desktop in general has just, there's a lot built into it. So I, I, I'm not mad at them for doing it and, and I hope it works out. Right. Uh, but I will say there's probably going to be some other things that pop up around this because people are going to be like, no, you know, I'm not, if you got 250 employees, I said, I think on the low end in that document, they said that it was $5 per user per month. Right. Yeah. So on the low end, you're at five times 250. Um, you know, you're already at $1,250 a month on a cost that you didn't expect or didn't anticipate. Right. So, well, hold on now, because that's also another thing too that's weird about this. It's if you had if you had fewer than two hundred fifty employees, then fine, you get to use their free version. But if you have two hundred fifty right. or more, then it's cost per user. So you have two hundred and fifty one users, just to make a clear distinction of the numbers there. Right, you have two hundred fifty one employees in your company, but you only have one person using Docker Desktop. You pay five dollars for that one user license. That's what it sounded like to me too, right? The people that are actually using it. So what you said, the distinction between the number of employees in the company versus number of users, maybe you don't have to pay that much. Yeah. It's well, um, yeah. But my point is, is that it's, 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 you're basing the cost off of yes. Okay, fine. I have 251 employees in my company and now I have to pay you a license because I have 250, you know, or more employees. Right. And even though only one person's going to use it, that one person I have to pay for that one user. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, I'm taking it to an extreme to just illustrate the the things, but that's where the boundaries are. Right. So it's not like, you know, somebody like a large enterprise, like a Google or an Apple or, or an IBM or whatever. It's not that they have to pay $5 for every employee in the company, regardless of they're using it. It's only for those that are actually using it. Right. The user. So it may be cheap. It, it, it may not be bad. Right. Unless you're a software development company where everybody's a software developer. Right. So, um, like imagine the, uh, Amazons of the world that are probably using this kind of stuff. Right. Like that's, that's a hefty sum. Amazon, Microsoft, Google. I mean, yeah, they, those, those seems like those companies seem like they'd be hit pretty hard by it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, not terrible pricing. So if you are a business, so if you're, you know, an Amazon or something, you're not going to, you know, theoretically on, on license, you're not going to be paying that $5. You're going to be paying $21 a user per month, which even if that sounds high, that's how much GitHub enterprise uh, costs. And with all this stuff, if you get it to a Google size, you pick up the phone and you're going to get a much better rate than that. You, know, yeah. you might get like $7, you might get $10, you know, who knows per user. And we think about it, even per year, it's like $200 a year per, like, say for me, for my company paying $240 a year so I can use Docker. Like, that's so worth it. You know, that's the cost of a, a JetBrains license for a single product. You know, that's this, the price of a lot of other things that I, I pay for. Uh, I just paid a uh, hundred bucks for, um, for canines pro license. You know, just like that's half of what Doc- Docker is asking me. And, like I use Docker a lot. Like it's very important, not only on like my day to day life, but also just, you know, important to the business. So it seems like a no brainer to pay it to me. I hope it works out for them. But yeah, like you said, it might yeah. just encourage, you know, diversity. So, I mean, you're not wrong. I just hate change, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's, here's the ultimate question. If it were up to you, 
would you pay yours? Like if it, if you had to pay $5 a month for Docker, would you pay it? Me personally, you mean? Yeah, you personally. Like if for if, for like personal use, you mean? Uh if you if you yeah, I guess personal use. Like would you pay it to do your development stuff? I mean, not, not not even considering the size of the company or anything. Like would is it worth it to you to pay $5 a month for Docker desktop use? I guess hmm I is it worth it? Yes. Uh, I mean, there's so, there's so much incredible value out of Docker, but it does make me question though. Like, you know, it, it, it's like the same thing as like a GitHub account, you know, you know, how could you survive without having a place to put your repos? Like, you know, and so that's where I, I kind of view Docker and, you know, uh, you know, it's amazing that they let you use them as a container registry for free, you know, for personal use without a charge on it. Um, but I assume though you're asking about like not just for being able to store your own personal images, but also, uh, you know, for any polls as well for personal yeah, just use. Right? It. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I'd, I'd say absolutely. I'd pay $5 a month for it. I mean, I've gotten way more value out of it than that. Right. Like just it, it's look. Yeah. I've heard all of the lore and rumors about Jay Z's Steam library, and I can't imagine what that costs. So, yeah. you know, yeah, if you could pull Docker, you know, if you had to pay like five dollars to pull Docker, yeah, sure. And that, yeah. those things generally make my life worse. This actually makes my life like better. <laughs> so think about this though. I think what you're about the game wrong, sir? Yeah, I know. <laughs> what I'm so bad at him. What if uh, Docker said $5 a month, fine. VS Code said, oh, hey, we're $10 a month now. Like, okay. And GitHub said, no more private. Now you got to do $7 a month. Like, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, where's it? Like, what if all these companies that we've been using things for years suddenly all went uh, subscription? You know, I mean, eventually mm. we would find something else. I mean, and that's that has been the way this has worked because what you're describing, Joe, is where we came from. Right. right? All of the editors you know, visual studio you used that to pay a fortune if you wanted to get a copy of it. And then they eventually came out and said, okay, here's a community edition that was like really pared down. And then eventually, you know, the community just moved away from that or like, Hey, you know, we'll, we'll use uh visual studio code with a bunch of plugins or, or, Oh, we'll pay for writer or something else, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's interesting though. Cause uh, it's, it's hard. Like all those products that we just mentioned, like those weren't built by single developers. Like a lot of these are built by gigantic, you know, multi-million dollar corporations are backed and staffed and they've got full-time people working on this stuff. And so if, you know, if we did say like all, all the main tools we use day to day did suddenly start going subscription plans, uh, then it might be hard for small players to really get started. I mean, you know, like maybe there'd be startups, maybe whatever, but the startups, they're only going to get investors if they can pay that money back. So it's kind of like bait and switch. It's like they're going to do the same thing. Like, okay, we're free, we're open core, but at some point we're coming for your wallet. I mean, that's kind of how a lot of companies have done, though, right? Like MySQL. MySQL was one of the big ones that did that early on because at some point everybody's got to make some money. Confluent, right? We we love Kafka. Um, they are trying to monetize. Elasticsearch did it, right? Elasticsearch. Yep. Went the whole thing of now you have the basic versus the different types of subscriptions. So, I mean, that's really what it boils down to, man. It's yeah, really hard to keep sinking developer dollars in something and not have some sort of stream of revenue, right? But with the elastic route, though, I mean, the, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but their monetization was like, Hey, we're going to like, there, here's all these add on features, but the only way you can get them is to pay for it. Right. 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 So, so like they were providing like new value that you didn't already have, right? You want our machine learning algorithms to be able to like, you know, build uh, charts off of your, your existing index. You got, that's a feature you got to pay for. You just want to search fine. You don't have to pay for that. Yeah. They tried to go the plugin. The The only problem with the elastic route though is, and, and I think we, we could all see this is they left out some pretty major things in in their base ones right like security yeah but or they authorization fixed that, though, right they they did eventually they ended up going that. around changing that but we, that's we not how it started. challenged them on it right, right. yeah and, uh, yeah they got they got a black eye in the market because you know the default wasn't really uh security aware or friendly yeah. yeah so it is interesting i mean i think things will balance out over time but you know like i said hopefully hopefully good comes out of it. Hopefully Docker makes a little bit of money and, and everybody actually benefits from it in some other way. So I don't know. We'll see. So that, that brings up. So I guess it doesn't directly lead into my next thing, but I was curious about this. So I, my wife, she's like, you should go get a master's. And I'm like, man, um, yeah, I don't really want to, um, but I always have things bouncing around in the back of my head, right? Like uh, I know Jay-Z, you and I had talked about it at the beginning of the year. I think we were both looking at doing the CKD, um, you know, Kubernetes um, certification for uh Kubernetes certified developer, right? I think is what it was. And, and I'm, and I'm always thinking about things like there's, there's a couple other ones that are just sort of been bouncing around, around in my head. Like one is the Azure architect, um, certification. Another one is the AWS uh, architecture. Um, and then GCP, because we spent so much time on that, I'm like, Hey, maybe I should go get that kind of certification. And, and the problem is, is every time I look at any of these, like it's a serious amount of time you got to put into it. Right. And it's not just studying. It's also having to play with all the tools so that you get familiar with it. Cause you can study it, but if you don't run the commands and you don't see what's happening, it doesn't matter. Right. So I was curious, like, do either one of you, do either one of you ever think about potentially either going back to school and, and finishing up something or getting a master's or whatever, or, or getting a certification? And if so, what is the driving force? I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before though. I, it, we have, feels, but, but okay. we've been around for eight years. So things change, right? So do they <laughs> a little bit, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think I have changed on this topic, but maybe I have. Uh, I, certifications, like, I just felt like um, I've just seen bad from, the, you know, the bad side of them from, like, people who got certifications, like, you know, long ago that then couldn't, you know, get their way around the system at all. And like, wait a minute, you're supposed to have the certificate. I don't have the certification. You do. Well, how do I, how, why am I the one telling you how to do this? You know, type situations that I think that like it has put such a, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's just tainted my view of them forever that I just don't put a lot of, uh, value in them. And so as a result, I don't go chasing after them 
either. So to be clear, you're kind of talking about the ones that were happening 15, 20 years ago when everybody was getting um, MCSE certified or whatever, right? I mean, I'm younger than that, so I don't know what you guys were doing <laughs> way back then. But yeah, you know, let's let's use that example. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I think you're talking about like I remember MCSE and MCSD were like the hot things, and and every, like you'd listen to the radio, and they're like, "Hey, come take this this trading course and get your MCSE and be yeah. making six figures." And but and and like you said, people come out of that they wouldn't even know how to set up a network, right? So. Yeah. yeah. So, so it, it really like just left such a bad op- opinion based on the things that I saw at the time that I've never gone out and chased it. That's not to say that the current ones like the certified Kubernetes, uh, YAML developer or, uh, an Azure, uh, architect or whatever. I'm not to say that those aren't, uh, that those are at that, that same level. You know, I mean, I, I would certainly hope that we've gotten better, but, it's still like I, I I just it's forever burned into my brain that you know to associate it like that, and so therefore I don't go chasing after it. Now, a degree from a college or university, I would put a lot more um, weight into that than I would a certification because I mean you could focus on something for a short period of time. And get a certification. Like if you wanted to get a Kubernetes certification or, you know, uh, Azure or AWS or Google cloud, you know, architect type certification. I mean, you could probably spend a quarter of a year and, you know, do what you had to do to get that right. You're not going to get a a degree or, you know, what be it regardless of level uh, from a college or university in that short amount of time. Right. So there's, so as a result, there's more invested time, which then, uh, you know, you, 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 you're going to come out of it stronger in the end as a result of that, you know? Hmm. Um, okay. So, so you sound like you lean heavier towards if, if you were going to do something, you'd probably go more the, um, collegiate route. What what would be the purpose? What would be the point? I guess for you, like individually, would it be like? So I, I'll lay it out here in terms of what I'm thinking. Like where there's there's just wanting to get better at things, so know things, right? Like there's that, but there's also like a lot of jobs out there. If if you have a bachelor's, you get paid a certain amount. If you have a master's, then you can make a certain amount more, and you can go up to a certain level. If you have a PhD. You can go up to a higher level and make even more. So there's the monetary things that could happen there. And then there might even be just, hey, I want to network so that I meet more people in the field so that maybe my possibilities open up. Like, so those are kind of what I'm thinking. Like, so like for you personally, what, what would be the thing that would drive you towards doing it? It it would only be to, to, to get better and learn something, any other, anything else, I feel like you're going at it for the wrong reasons and you're going to lose interest over time. If you're doing it just because you want more money, then, I mean, there, there are quicker schemes to making money than, than that. I feel like because the amount of time that it's going to take you, your heart has to be in it more than just, you know, because you want more money, right? Like, I feel like that's a reason that would cause you to burn out. Or a career path, right? Like it could be a career path, but it sounds like for you, it's just self, 
Oh, self-improvement is really what it boils down to. I would think so. Yeah. What about you, Jay-Z? Yeah. So I think with um, both certifications and, uh, you know, like the college, um, the uh, universities, they open doors if you don't already have those doors open. So if you come out with a computer science degree and you've got no work experience, that can kind of trade for that. Same with certifications. If you are um, a front-end developer and you want to get into back-end and you go get a Java certificate, then that's a step in that way. So if you go into that interview, it's better to have that certification than not. Okay, um, I like that. But aside from that, though, the certifications, they vary so wildly. <clears throat> like the CCAD, uh, the Kubernetes one, very valuable. Uh, cloud certifications, there's a lot of money in cloud, security certifications, networking. Like Those are good ones to get. What's the best JavaScript certification to get right now? Oh, is there one? There's a thousand of them. I just looked. I, I've never heard of any of them. You know, so that's kind of my point is like for languages, for Java, for C Sharp, for, you know, all that stuff. Like they're out there, but they're just not very popular. And I kind of feel like that way about uh, degrees too. So if you get an electrical engineering degree or math degree or computer science degree, like those are going to trade really well for you. Compared to uh, English, history, psychology, stuff like that, philosophy. I mean, th- like, go after those if you want to, if you want a different, you know, kind of career path. But those are, aren't going to open doors to programming the same way that one of those other degrees I mentioned are. And, uh, you know, so it's definitely different. If I knew I was going to live for a 100 years more, then maybe, I, you know, I'm, I just picked that number out of hat. But, uh, you know, I probably would go and uh go after a bachelor's or <laughs> go finish my bachelor's and then uh, go after a master's degree in something because there's things that you can get uh, an advanced degree on that are really hard to to learn on your own they either require specialized equipment or like specialized mathematics or stuff that you can't just find a, a getting started guide on youtube for like radiology uh physics or you know i I made that up but uh um astronomy or like these like really specialized domains which could be really interesting and really cool and really kind of push the whole human race forward in in a lot of really interesting ways but there's no dev 2 article on you know getting started with that in 10 minutes and so i you know i think depending on what you what your goals are uh it can you know really change how valuable those things are for you but ultimately you know it's all opportunity cost too it's like if I were to go uh, get a bachelor's and master's, uh, then that's that would be years of effort and focus that's taking away from other things I could do. So if I was just about making money, I would not go for that route unless I had no other doors open for me. So me, you know, personally right now, my life, my age, where I am in the career, uh, education is not interesting to me. And certifications are only interesting to me in that it helps me kind of have a focus for learning. So I did the GCP certification last year, which is probably what you were thinking about a lot when we talked about it. And I'm of the same opinion then. Like, uh, I like it because it gave me something to focus on. It, you know, it let me kind of pass the test and prove to myself that I could do it. And then I instantly forgot everything. So it's like all the bad you ever hear about certifications, you know? So, well, that's uh, the same thing about begin. school too, right? Like, yeah. I mean, in all honesty, but I, I would, I would still do the CCAD. Like, I would definitely entertain it. I've, yep. Uh, this is a good one. Well, but that's kind of my point though, with the, 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 the amount of time that you spend working on something though, right? If you only do something for three months, it's really easy for that to be forgotten because it was never established as muscle memory as much. Whereas if you work on something for like two or four years, you know, that's going to get, that's going to become more ingrained into you as you know, it's going to be part of become part of your muscle memory that it'd be a little bit harder 
to forget. So I agree with that, although unless you're going for a doctorate, which typically is more focused, right? So you could work on something for multiple years in a doctorate. But I don't think you're going to get that in a master's, right? Like Because it's not much it different. depends on the subject. It, well, that's kind of where I was going is like even when we were getting our bachelor's or, or, you know, when we were working on that stuff, like you have a course that you take for, you know, three, three to six months. And then you're on to a different one, right? And you're typically changing gears. So, you know, I don't know. I guess to your point, I agree that if you have like a long-term gradual learning and and just being entrenched in something, definitely it'll stick better. But I don't know that you get that with a master's. With a PhD, probably. And depending on the master's program that you're going after, right? Like if it's something highly targeted like um, machine learning type stuff, then maybe – Maybe you're entrenched in it there, but I don't here's know. That, where, that's interesting. Here's where, um, as a as a grown 21-year-old, um, <laughs> why are you laughing at that? Uh, th- th- this, is, this is where I have grown to appreciate going to college or university. Have you, you recall, have you ever heard of that thing? Like it's a, like a fight or flight type of thing where like um, – when you're in like a life threatening emergency, like why do you, why do you remember every detail so vividly? And they say that it's like a, a fight or flight thing. Like your your mind goes into like sensory overload to like remember everything, so that uh, you know if you're ever in that situation again, like you know you can be aware uh, of it. And 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 you know it's like a a, a self preservation kind of mechanism that the brain does, kind of thing. You know, and and I kind of think of like. I now kind of think of like college and university as being that same type of sink or swim thing because like every, you know, depending on if you're on a semester or a quarter system, but you're going to get a short, a short period of time. So let's say it's a quarter based uh, system for your particular university or whatever. So that, that short period of time, you're going to have to sink or swim. Like you're going to be in that fight or flight mode for a, for a very short period of time on some new subject that you know, you're just gonna be thrown in the deep end and have to like come out ahead. Right. And so, so as a result of that, like things kind of get baked in more like you're, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you get, you become aware and then guess what? You got to repeat it all over again on you, on another subject that's going to build upon the last one. Right. And again, you're going to be put in this like sink or swim fight or flight type situation where like, for a very, you know, for a short amount of time, you got to hyper focus on this one thing and come out ahead on it. And and you're going to keep building on those building blocks, right? That is college in a nutshell. So that's interesting. I think it, that was never it for me because it was never like fight or flight. That school was just such a all school from high school through college and everything was just prepare for the test, finish the test, move on. Like all that information's gone the next day. Um, that's sort of how I approach school. I mean, it's I think you take for granted so much that you learned in school I, to say that, to say what you just did, man, that's like, I, you're taking so much for granted, I, but I guess that's what I'm saying. Like those, that slow-mo thing that you're talking about. And I know exactly what you're talking about. That just never was. It, it was like school was a task. It was a punch list for me, which is interesting. Um, so I guess, I mean, we all approach it differently too, but so Jay Z back, back to finishing up what you were saying. So you, you brought up the good of school, the good of um, certifications. Like, do you, 
like what's your goal when you do it? I know you said that there's the, the task, you know, like you said, you learned the GCP thing and you know, Hey, I was able to finish that, you know, good. Awesome. Is it so that you get better at the things? Is it potentially something to put on your resume? Like, like what is it that, that drives you to finish those things? I uh, usually just want to learn, but for the most part, I wouldn't normally get a, a certification. That was just something where I was in the cloudy arena. Arena was like something I knew very little about. And so I didn't feel like I uh, even knew enough about it to go after it, like self-studied. So it's like I wanted to use some sort of guide on it. I found a guide and the guide was, you know, kind of tuned for the certification. So it's kind of these things make sense. And like once you study for a little bit, it's, it kind of gives you a nice uh, finish line there to say, well, you know, let me make sure that I actually did study this. Why not cover every chapter? Maybe I won't skip the things that I think I know already. Like, let me flush this test stuff out. Let me, uh, you know, do the practice tests and stuff and let me see. So it's kind of a cool experience. Uh, and so, you know, I don't regret doing it, but I'm, you know, I wouldn't go get that one again. It just hasn't did, done anything for me, you know? Did you put it on your LinkedIn or anything? Or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. See, so, so there was at the end of it, you're like, okay, I accomplished this. I'm going to put it up there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I mean, from, from my perspective, like I I've definitely thought about getting a master's in that kind of stuff. And, and my biggest problem is, is kind of what, what Jay-Z hit at is the opportunity cost for one. I don't know that I'd go into a computer science field. Maybe I would, maybe, maybe I wouldn't, but it's almost like if I'm going to go to a higher level of education, I want to broaden my horizons a little bit more. You know what I mean? So it's almost like I would probably go for, um, God, I can't even think of what they're called right now. Um, what is the, the MBA? I'd probably get something like an MBA, right? Uh, just so that you get more of the broader business knowledge. And, and that's a different path than, than if you were to go hyper focused on something like ML or, or AI or something like that. So, um, and I don't know if it would be monetarily driven to your point outlaw. Like, I don't know that that I would go into it thinking that because the problem is maybe you don't make any more money doing it. Right. And maybe you don't end up changing career paths. Um, so that that's a hard one. Now on the flip side, certifications to what you said, Jay-Z, like I'd have a hard time going and getting a certification in, in uh, TypeScript. Like it, it doesn't, it, unless I was just trying to do what you said, which was trying to take a test to see if I understood the stuff right at the end, that's really the only reason I would go after it. However, something more like uh, Azure Cloud Architect or AWS Cloud Architect or GCP, something like that, like that can actually pay the bills, right? You get a certification in one of those things. There's not a ton of people out there who've done it because they're not easy to do. Um, that can help monetarily, right? And and I think if I were to go after something like that, it would be twofold. I would want to understand the bits of Azure or AWS or GCP to know how these services and things tie together, right? Like um, there, there is a lot of value in understanding if you're on GCP, what's the difference between Bigtable and, and one of their other storage technologies, right? Or if you're in Azure, Cosmos DB versus something else or whatever. So those, those pay value in my daily thing. But then also I feel like that's something really big, right? Like if you come with the creds that you are certified in an, in a cloud platform, that seems like a pretty big deal. So that one would definitely be sort of more monetarily driven for me than I think than the school one would be. So yeah, that's a good point too. Like if you're billing yourself as a consultant for Kubernetes or consultant for AWS, you kind of need that. 
Yeah. It's like, you know, that's everyone you're competing with, you know, someone was like looking to hire you, bring you in, like they kind of might expect that of you. And so it's almost like just something you need to do to check that box. Yeah. And, and you do learn a lot. Uh, I mean, I started doing the Azure Architect when, man, I, I was days into it and it had barely scratched the surface. And I learned a ton just going through all that, that um, information. So, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, so I had a quick one here that Jay-Z just uh, reminded me of. But um, he was talking about canines. He mentioned pain for canines. And, you know, I I was uh, hard on it when we when it was first mentioned and everything. Again, I mentioned earlier, I don't like change. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, cause, because they were like when Jay-Z first introduced me to it um, – I don't know, maybe like in its particular, in that particular version or whatever. I don't, I don't even know the details, but I, I remember like I ran into some issues with it, but you know, since then I was like, I'm going to give this thing another try. And you know, I was, I was uh, you know, uh, going to give it its due. Right. And now it is like a daily uh, thing for me. Like I, I, I am definitely a, a, a convert. So I wanted to like, you know, since Jay-Z brought it up, I was like, Hey, you know what? I should give it its fair, its fair shake to say like, uh, you know, I can admit when I was wrong, you know, like, what, what's the saying? Like a big man can admit when he's wrong. Right. So I, I can admit that I was wrong and, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite awesome. And I use it all, you know, all the time. Um, I don't know any coop cattle commands anymore though. So that's the sad part. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I do, I do use it like all the time now. So yeah, I heavily rely. In fact, like my, my default, uh, operation now is, um, I think we'd mentioned before that my preference on Mac is for, instead of using the built-in terminal is to use iTerm, uh, iTerm two, because you can specifically split the width, have a single window that has two separate terminals in it or more, uh, same as you can do with like, uh, uh, windows terminal, for example. And so in either windows terminal or iTerm two, my default standard is I, I split it at least, you know, into two different terminals, one that is constantly running canines and then one that is something else. And then that way I can interact with my, uh, Kubernetes cluster as I need to. Um, and you know, I can always have like a, be kind of like mindful of what its current state is as I'm doing something like, Oh, why can't I reach that? Oh, it's cause that, that pod crashed and I need to go figure out why it's so, so- Good. So very good. And, and I threw a link in the show notes here to a getting started with canines tutorial that Jay Z put together. So go check it out. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it's got a few views on it, but I think it's one of those things that if you don't know what canines is, you don't even know to look for it. If you're working with Kubernetes, you should check this video out because it may make your life just way better, like so much better. That's kind of someone disliked it. <laughs> oh really? Someone always dislikes. I'm it. sorry. Yeah. Uh, Thanks. Thanks. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. So I wouldn't you, do that. So I mentioned that I I, uh, I just paid for the pro license today for canines. I haven't even tried it yet. Actually, <laughs> uh, I just got the license. Uh, but the reason I did is one, I just want to support it because I love it. I use it all the time. Talk about it all the time, and you know, like so. Part of me was just like, I don't even care if I you know about these features. But there was one on there that caught my eye. And it was something that I actually missed from Lens. If you use Mirantis Lens, one thing you could do is you could pull up, say, a deployment. 
and it would list the pods and services and other, you know, labels, things like that. And you could click on it and it maybe, you know, click on a config map or a secret and it would take you to that config map or secret or pod or deployment or service or label. Uh, well, that is one of the things that the pro version of canines gives you. And that's something that I've missed from lens. So if I pull up a pod now, a lot of times like I'm, I'm trying to find a problem. So I'll go in, there's a busted pod. I look at it. Okay. The setting comes from this config map. What do I do? Exit the pod. I go to the config map. Hopefully I haven't gotten distracted and forgot the name of the stupid thing. I was just going to take a look. Then I go look it up and then I come back. Well, wouldn't it be nice if I could just kind of drill in, just kind of hit enter and go to that next uh, resource and then maybe come back. So that's the the feature that I'm most excited about, and I think that's really going to speed me up. And it's already it's just a, such a nice way to to work that uh, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm happy to spend the money even if it doesn't work like I think it does. And, and okay, you know, so, well, real quick, so you mentioned Lens, which is really good, right? Like it's it's super good. I think it's been a tip of the week some episodes back. The beauty of K9s is. It's very similar to that whole lens experience, except you never have to use a mouse. You can click your way or use a keyboard shortcut to get to everything that you need. And that's really why I like it better than lens. So, okay. So one thing I want to say, it's like super cute. If you go to the canine uh, CLI dot IO, it's who let the pods out. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but I want to I want to be clear too, or at least make sure that we're talking about the same thing. Because you're saying like a pro version, but I think is that what they refer to as the K9s Alpha? Yes. Okay, so it's the Alpha dog. So yep. K9s Alpha dot uh, IO is the paid version that you're referring to. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't fully understand the the distinction. There's um there's a P1 tier which is 100 bucks a year, and then uh, P2 which is 200 dollars a year. And uh, it looked like it just kind of increased some numbers. I didn't really understand. And it added support and stuff, I guess. So it definitely looked like an enterprise kind of you know, user thing. So I was I stuck with 100. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about it. It does look like they've rewritten part of the core engine. So things are supposed to be just kind of faster and less buggy. But there, it is a fork. So it's got a divergent path from canines. So, you know, oh, that's whatever that means. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's see, what does it? So you get access to Kubernetes resources. List I already had. Resources, resource list limited to 20 entries, maintenance updates, issues and fix, issue fixes and improvements, Kubernetes release updates, documentation, basic support, upgraded code base with performance issues. That's in the power one. That's the one you got, right? Yep. But there was one, there should be one other power item there. two, which I'm assuming is going to be all that plus other stuff, but it looks like it like limits. So unlimited resource lists. Yeah. I don't understand resource lists. I think it, maybe you can go grab a service and a pod and maybe you can like kind of group things, but I don't know. I actually have no clue what that means. Exclusive access to new features and enhancements. Uh, let's see. That's already said. Issue feature prioritization. So I guess maybe if you like report an issue, you can have your issue can be prioritized to be fixed. Maybe, uh, um, maybe that's what those are referring to. And then discounted promotional offers on license renewals and apparel. That's the, that looks to be like the differences between power one and power two. Hey, so I had somewhere else that I was looking at uh, the differences between one and two. Um, 
So I'm going to look for that because uh, the one uh, thing I was excited wasn't listed on that page, but I, I definitely saw what you're talking about. Um, oh, dang interesting. It. Yeah. Uh, well, right. either way, uh, good yeah. stuff. And I just, I just wanted to like, you know, be on the record to say like I was wrong and uh, yeah, it's awesome. Give it a try. I haven't tried the alpha though, so I can't, is it, do you notice this, I guess, a performance difference? So I still haven't tried it. Oh, you did say that. Never mind. Yeah. So they call it um, resource graph traversals. Canines Alpha provides for easy traversal of Kubernetes resources and their dependencies. And there's actually, there's a, a lot of other uh, features. It's on the, just the main page, uh, built-in benchmarking, uh, robot, role-based authentication and uh, access controls. Uh, multi-resource views it provides for an overview of your cluster resources with pulses and extra. We already had that. So yeah. So I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> I'll find out. I'll let you know. Ooh, custom skins. Well, the, the regular canines had custom skins. We've no, talked about no. that is actually Dang. like one of the tips is that you could, you could have it specific to uh, a cluster. That's you could right. have a different coloring or a different skin for it. Don't feel bad about your purchase. You're just trying to support them for doing I, awesome work. I am not trying to make you feel bad about your. Um, yeah, that gosh. wasn't my intent. Gosh, y'all! Don't listen to Alan. That's not <laughs> what. That's not what I was trying to do. All right. I mean, it is money that could have gone to a mountain bike, but I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> so, so you don't uh, have mountains in Florida. No, we got alligators. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I was struggling to come up with a, an idea for something to talk about tonight. And so I actually went to, and this here's a free tip for you. Uh, Dev.2 publishes like the uh, most popular uh, articles every year. So if you go to, um, I, I don't know, I'll look it up. It's like Dev.2 slash year. Uh, best of year. And I shouldn't say it's not really best. It's, um, yeah, I'll, I'll look at it. It'll be in the show notes. You got to go to the show notes for it. Or you can just Google for it. It's but uh, it's basically you know the ones that were the most popular based on you know views or whatever. And the number one for 2020 was this uh, full stack developers roadmap. And we've looked at roadmaps before. Uh, one, if you remember, a couple years ago or a year ago, we looked at one that was like a, full, a front end one. There was a back end one. There was a DevOps one, and it kind of showed how they connected a little bit. It was really well done. Uh, this is different. I thought it was interesting because it combined fr- uh, front and back. And uh, just I've scrolled through a little bit, but I wanted to keep it fresh. There's definitely some things I disagree with here, and so you know I figured we'd not like not go crazy on it. But uh, I just thought it'd be, be kind of interesting to see like what you know one person thinks is the full stack roadmap. And uh, the first part it starts with, and you'll see just how different this is from other ones that were very technology focused. Is the first couple links are just how the internet works. Like what happens when you type Google.com in, into your you know browser window, DNS, networking, routers, uh, all that sort of stuff, uh, IP addresses, HTTP2, things like that. So I thought that was really cool just right out the gate. Like, oh, yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, their their take on uh, full stack goes deeper than most conversations of full stack. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's it's got a, a section here for advanced front end. And so a couple links to HTML and CSS, JavaScript, um, that's fine. It does have a section on operating systems, which is another one that's like something that you don't really see in like other roadmaps. So it talks about command line, uh, shells, memory, uh, Unix, pro, you know, programming pipes, stuff like that, bash scripting. So I thought, hey. Now, 
here's where I have the biggest problem. <laughs> so we'll, we'll try not to dwell on it. The languages uh, section for full stack developers. Uh, they, they already mentioned JavaScript up front. And if you look at the comments, so many of the comments are them people saying, you don't have JavaScript listed, but it's in the advanced front end section. It's just not listed under languages. It actually well, is though, isn't it? No. Oh, it's server side JavaScript. Oh, I think they added that oh. after the comments because it does say it has an edit on it. So, okay. Yeah, I did miss that. Good call. <laughs> but yeah, the languages they have for full stack developers are PHP, Ruby, Rust, Go, and JavaScript. Yeah, seems a little. Yeah, what's missing? Yeah, Java. Oh, Java, huge. C sharp. C sharp. Yep. Oh, well, uh, Python. Python. Yeah. Yeah. Well, really, like any of the compiled languages are missing, right? right. Like it's all these are all languages. Dyna- yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's got Rust to go on there, but those are like pretty, you know, bleeding edge. Those aren't, you know, not nearly as common as like a C plus plus. But I'm like, Ruby, Ruby's on there, but Python's not like, whoa, what? Yeah, it'd be hard to recommend learning Ruby as, as one of your first languages right now. Just not because Ruby isn't awesome, but just because it's, it's not got anywhere near the lion's share of the market now. Yeah. And this is only from a year ago. So to, to not see uh, Python or in, like Java too, it just seems like such a wide miss. It's like, like, and I don't, I'm not faulting this person. I'm not saying they're wrong. This is their experience. They put this together, article together, you know, the goodness of their heart. And so, you know, thank you for doing this. Uh, and put it out there for us to judge. Yeah, That's right. totally. <laughs> That's right. But you could just tell, like, this is something that was someone who thinks about programming as like, you know, websites, uh, which is fine. But it was just, it was, you know, interesting to see that. But they do they? Because they world. also didn't say CSS and HTML. Well, uh, or even client side JavaScript. <laughs> it's under the advanced uh, front end section. Oh, uh, so right. they do have a link there. That. Okay. Yep. Uh, what else is that? the version control, which is something that a lot of people maybe don't think about, but you spend a lot of time with it, especially if you goof something up. As we all know, uh, if you don't have outlaw around there to call on to help you out, then yeah, good luck. And they mentioned subversion in here, which I thought was kind of funny. I don't yeah, know if they, that's crazy. You're gonna- it's like, wait, you got subversion, but not Java. Come on. Right. <laughs> I was I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. And uh the, the back end um the back end roadmap that we looked at before was like Mongo and SQL Server and Oracle and, and things like that. Here it's like object relational mapping, asset compliance, uh NoSQL, indexes, normalization. So it's it's a good list. Uh I like the take on it. Um relational databases has its own big section, NoSQL. Uh API is something we t- you know talked about recently. They've got a big section on that. Um GraphQL. Uh, also highlighted, they do mention uh, HadiOS, HadiOS. I don't know how you say that. No, me either. And we got cache, a section on caching, which I don't even know how you do that. <laughs> Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. Uh, security big section. So yeah, it's just interesting. There's a small section on CI CD. So I just thought it was kind of interesting to bring it up. And, and um, so this is number one. And well, I looked at the others um, and there is kind of a, like a, a mix of kind of odd birds, but I thought this one was like really good. I'm pretty sure the way caching works is uh, you just hold on to stuff until you run out of space. Yeah. <laughs> and then you just crash the system and we're, we're yeah. familiar. We're familiar. Yeah. This is actually a really good list. I mean, you know, like you said, a little nitpicks aside, I mean, this is complete. Yep. Oh, and I found the, uh, the URL is uh, dev.2 slash top slash year. 
It tells you the top post for the last year. You can also do top week and see the top post in the last week. Day also works. So there's a, there's another tip for you right there. Pretty cool. You said top that slash year? Slash year. Yep. Okay. Top post for the year. Oh, really cool. Didn't know about that. That should have been a tip of the week. Yeah. Yeah, I'm full of this. It was good stuff. There you have it. Joe's full of it. <laughs> I think that's, that was the takeaway. Yep. This episode of Coding Blocks is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring and security platform for end-to-end visibility into your Java applications. Datadog provides out-of-the-box customizable dashboards, actionable alerts, distributed tracing, and an always-on low-overhead Java code profiler for your production environment all in one place. With support for over 450 technologies and automatic instrumentation for popular frameworks, you can start monitoring your Java applications alongside the rest of your stack in minutes. And 450 is a lot. They probably got you covered on whatever you're doing. And remember, this is a free trial. So you can go and sign up and create dashboards and get started with those integrations today to see what things really look like for you and see how this is going to be awesome for you. Yeah, and you know, we're always going on about uh, the the uh, Datadog blog because they always have amazing articles. And of course, you know, specific to Java, I was going to mention, you know, because we were talking about Docker before, I was going to mention the all the stuff they have on Docker. But since we're talking specifically about Java as it relates to uh, Datadog, of course, they've got a whole section of docs and all the common Java frameworks that they support, uh, you know, Beautiful documentation on how to use their, uh, um, how to use Datadog to pro, uh, profile your Java applications. So I'll have a link there uh, in the show notes for the the Java documentation. But really, you can't go wrong. Like it's every technology that you're going to want to monitor, Datadog has you covered with their 400 and plus built-in uh, integrations. So start your free trial today to start monitoring in real time. And listeners of this podcast will receive a free t-shirt once you install the agent and create one dashboard. Yep. So again, go start that trial with datadoghq.com slash coding blocks. Again, that's datadoghq.com slash coding blocks to get started today. Well, I'm kind of confused. I don't know where to go from here. Uh, I threaten you all with a review, you know, with DJ voices. If we don't get a review, we get a review. You say you love the DJ voices. Alan and Joe then don't respect the threat and instead still do the DJ voices. And we get more comments that you love the DJ voices. So here's the deal. If we don't get another review, then they're not going to do another DJ voice. How about that for a threat? A flip it upside down. Oh, that hurts. Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 why are we threatening uh, the audience? We, we love you, audience. Oh, I guess I am being taking a hostile approach to this, huh? Yeah. I think Outlaw's damaged by the number of, of late night DJ voices. You know, I just so am, man. I just so am. I just, can we just take a moment and relax and just, you know, Go outside, see a movie. Like, yes, we can. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess leave us a review. Uh, I'll just put it this way. I would, I would like a review. Uh, it, it really does mean a lot to us. It puts a smile on our face. Um, 
apparently maybe you'll hear late night DJ voices or maybe you won't. I'm confused at this point. Um, even though it makes my ears bleed, I guess you take enjoyment in that. So, uh, yeah, if you want, if you want to, you know, inflict pain on me, then, uh, <laughs> why am I in a really dark mood? <laughs> you know, what's going to be sad is if like 50 new reviews come up, they're all like, we love the DJ voices. Then, then uh, people are going to be like, oh, they want to, they want to inflict pain on outlaw. <laughs> that would be hard. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I'll edit that out. I'll edit that out. <laughs> I don't know that my sensibilities could take that right now. Uh, so you can go to www.codyblocks.net slash review and find some helpful links there at the on the page. I'm going to quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> Why did the developer quit their job? I don't know. No. Because they didn't get a raise. Oh, wow. uh, good. <laughs> So that that was yeah. from Klaus. Uh, thank you. Klaus. Yep. Thank you. All right. So <laughs> a few episodes back, we asked, which desktop OS do you prefer? And your choices were Windows. I like my OS named after things I don't look through anymore. Or Mac OS. I like my OS named after places I don't go to. Or Linux. I like to learn how to pronounce my distribution. All right. So this is what? 67. Okay. So 167, uh, to trademarked, uh, pattern here. Jay Z, you are no, Alan, you are up oh, first. Yeah. You, you Sorry. Trademark. I think, uh, we're going to go with windows here. Um, don't have any great reason. Uh, and I'll go with 40%. Uh, I'm going to go with, um, with windows at 33%. Okay. Oh, undercutting me. Yeah, All right. I'm going to win this one. I can't, I can't, I could give you a reason too, Alan. You're like, I don't have a particularly good reason, but like gaming would have been a fantastic reason to pick oh, windows. Great reason. Yeah. All right. So Alan says windows for no reason at 40%. Uh, Jay Z says Windows at thirty three percent because he wants to win, and I think he likes to undercut Alan when he can. <laughs> uh, so I love it. I love it. We definitely have a winner here, and I love it when we have like a super strong winner. Like it's a, it's like you know for both reasons. You know what I'm saying? Like not only was it the right pick, but they didn't go over. You uh-huh. know, that's what it's like. So awesome. So yeah, uh, who was, was it? I'm sorry, but yeah, uh, you lost and uh, he won. But but who? who? <laughs> <laughs> Anxiety building. <laughs> uh, that was so great. It's so cruel, but it works so good. Uh, yeah, no, Alan won. Sweet. It yeah, was probably right. like sixty percent, wasn't it? No, it was forty nine. Forty nine percent. Oh, that's good. Yeah, surprisingly, Linux beat out Mac. I, I really? did not see that coming. Yeah. Oh, me wow. neither. I really, I honestly expected it to be Windows, Mac, then Linux. Um, yeah. So I am, I am a little excited to see that Linux uh, was second. What was the percentage on that one? Uh, Thirty-one. Oh, wow. that's yeah. pretty high. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. I wonder. Uh, yeah, now, now I'm going to with distro. <laughs> <laughs> they can't pronounce it. They don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, is it is it Ubuntu? 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 No, I keep looking at Ubuntu. It's all about whichever one has the best looking default wallpaper. Oh, is that it? That's what I want. Yeah, was it Red Hat Linux? Good ones. Mint used to be good, right? Uh, Yep. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, How about for this episode survey? We ask, how do you prefer to get on the network? Sock first. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) Good on you, Sarah. You're a good man. You're you're a good man. Sock internet shoe. That's right. Sock internet shoe or sock, sock, internet, internet, shoe, shoe. Right. Right. Or internet, internet, sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Okay. Um, All right. How do you prefer to get on the internet? Wireless. I can't be tethered by cables or wired. I need all the bandwidth and low latency I can get. I'm really curious to know like what you guys, I I don't say now can't, Mm. can't go taint the jury pool, but I'm curious to see how you guys are going to answer that one. uh, You know, when, when we can talk about it. All right. Have you ever really been happy with your project management tool? Yeah. Most are either too simple for a growing engineering team to manage everything or too complex for anyone to want to use them without constant prodding. Well, Shortcut, formerly known as Clubhouse, is different, though, because it's worse. We know we mean it's better. Shortcut is a project management built specifically for software teams and they're fast, intuitive, flexible, powerful, and many other nice, positive additives. Hey, let's let's have a look at some of their highlights. Team-based workflows. Individual teams can use Shortcut's default workflows or customize them to match the way they work. Org-wide goals and roadmaps. The work in these workflows is automatically tied into larger company goals. It takes one click to move from a roadmap to a team's work to individual updates and vice versa. Tight VCS integrations. Whether you use GitHub, GitLab, or Bitbucket, shortcut ties directly to them so you can update progress from the command line. Keyboard-friendly interface. The rest of Shortcut is just as keyboard-friendly with their power bar, allowing you to do virtually anything without touching your mouse. Throw that thing in the trash. Iterations planning. Set weekly priorities and then let Shortcut run the schedule for you with accompanying burn-down charts and other reporting. Give it a try at shortcut.com slash codingblocks. Again, that's shortcut.com slash codingblocks. Shortcut, formerly known as Clubhouse, because you shouldn't have to project manage your project management. Okay, so I have one more here that was really interesting. So I don't know about you guys. When you're developing, like, do you go after any particular pattern? So what I mean is we, we've, we've all been through so many topics since we started this show, and even before, right? Like reading books and all that kind of stuff. So there's tons of patterns out there, right? There's the MVC, there's the MVVM, there's service oriented, there's, there's all kinds of things, right? Like, and, and I always find myself sort of stuck in the middle of a bunch of them <laughs> because I'll be working on a project. And I'm like, Oh man, this would be great if this had like a domain driven design type aspect to it, right? Like there's some business objects right here that, 
that just seem like they're tailor-made for that kind of thing. And so then I'm like, well, how do I cram that in here? Because this thing isn't set up to be fully DDD. Um, and, I, and I'm constantly going through those types of things when, I, when I'm developing. And I try to follow decent patterns. Well, the other day I was sitting there and, and I've had this thought so many times is, where does the business logic go? Um, depending on how your project's set up, like you have – let's say like in this case I had a repository and that repository had models that it filled in. Right. And, and I look at that and I'm like, that model shouldn't have the business logic in it. And so I went and did a search just, just out of pure curiosity, like, Hey, where should the business logic go? And I think I put something like, should it go on a service or something? And this stack overflow article came up. That was so good. Basically, the gist of it was when you're talking about a service, they actually they they call it out in the Stack Overflow post just like this. Service is not a canonical or generic software term. In fact, the suffix service on a class name is not like it is a lot like the much maligned manager class, right? It tells you almost nothing about what the object actually does. In reality, what a service ought to do is highly architecture specific. And I love this because he breaks it down into just a ton of different bullet points here, right? He talks about MVP, MVC, MVVM, MV, RPC style, um, domain-driven design style, service-oriented architecture. The word service is so generic that it means something different in every one of those type of um, setups. And and I just wonder, do you guys run into these thoughts in your head? Like when you're looking at something like when I looked at it, I was like, there's no way I'm putting this business logic in a model. So I'm going to set up a service class to make this happen, to operate on the model, because I don't want to junk up this thing that's um, sort of a pure object that's coming from some sort of storage and put a bunch of logic on that that other things don't care about, don't need, don't want, you know. Do you guys get stuck in this headspace where you're constantly going, ah, maybe I'll put it there. No, maybe I'll put it there. Yeah. I mean, I definitely uh, run into this, especially with what you're talking about. Like, uh, you know, I've, uh, I really like the the idea of having DTOs and data classes and having that be separate because different uh, use cases require different things. And so the the data kind of stays the same. So it makes sense to me. On the other hand, I've also read about anemic models and, uh, I think we've had uh, the terms for it over the years where people argue that that's a bad idea and that OO is all about combining the data and the behaviors together. And that's like those behaviors belong on the things, on the models of the real world. And so that makes sense to me. Uh, so you know, I always feel torn. And I, I think, you know, we kind of, we talked about clean architecture a little bit. We kind of talked about having almost like a, I don't, don't want to say copies of the objects, but basically you have like these kind of these objects that live in that layer. And then it, when they go to another layer, they have another representation there that gets kind of serialized in or not. And so maybe that's kind of takes care of that problem I was having where the UI thinks about, you know, think about a video game. Like there's enemy class. The UI, you know, cares about what that looks like. Maybe there's business class that cares about their stats and uh, how many hit points they have. And then there's a website that cares about the table that it lives in and the object ID and stuff and where, you know, where that data comes from. And how many times, you know, it's been killed or it's killed players or, you know, whatever. And those are three different contexts that care about different things about what's ultimately kind of the same thing. 
but I think the argument there would be that there would be three separate classes and you just have to kind of marshal across there to do a translation in order, so that you could change one without affecting the other two. Uh, and so, I, I mean, ultimately, I don't really know what the answer is, but just something that feels good to me about having the data separate, even though, you know, I feel like someone's going to yell at me about it. <laughs> what about you, Outlaw? I feel like uh, it's kind of like try, try, try. I always feel like I'm still doing it wrong. Like it yeah. doesn't matter where where like at the time that I'm writing the code, I'll always feel like I think I'm doing the right thing. I, you know, I'm separating these things apart right. I think I like this, and then afterwards I'm done. You know, and I'll come back to it like a year later. I'm like, oh my, what is this? Oh god, was I was I drinking at that time? Was I maybe I'd stopped drinking, and that's what the pro- like. I always look at it like weird, you know, and so I don't know, man, like. I'm never going to be satisfied with it. So who cares? <laughs> it, it's frustrating, right? Like, I mean, it, it, I guess I, I shared that because I mean, you just heard from three different people, like collectively we've been doing this stuff for a very long time. Right. And we still look at things and we go, I don't know. That doesn't feel right. Or maybe, maybe this does feel better. And, and it's not like there's one definitive pattern that we've ever just has fallen out and we've just followed it for the rest of our careers, right? Like it just hadn't happened that way. So, yeah, there's so many. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I will say that like we have, we've worked together for a long time. So we've definitely gotten into situations where like, you know, a pattern gets established and we're like, okay, we'll, we'll continue to follow this pattern. Right. Which there, I mean, there's a lot to be said for that because even if you don't like an existing pattern, it's better than chaos. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know though. I mean, I always struggle with some of these concepts and I mean, I've talked about this before, you know, even in recent episodes where it's like all these things that we've read and, uh, you know, the different books that we've studied and whatnot and, you know, sometimes they're, they're great ideas. And then sometimes the, the difficulty to implement some of them or to bring them into your, your, your particular world, you know, that reality might just be so much effort that it's like, you know, especially, you know, if it's a greenfield application, then it's a lot easier to start in a good pattern. But, you know, once something is established, it's a lot more difficult to change things over. And so that's why sometimes I'm just like, okay, I'll just, you know, continue to follow whatever the, whatever our current pattern is of doing something. And on the next greenfield, you know, sure. I'll, I'll try to do something that I will eventually not be happy with, but. <laughs> you, you know, <clears throat> there are two things that I think that in terms of these types of patterns that have jumped out at me that I I've noticed over the years. One is Typically, when you see an MVC, you'll have like um, your model, your view, your controller, right? And your controller is usually your endpoint, right? Like some sort of API call. One thing that I've absolutely hated, and and I I kind of will just fail pull requests on it all the time now. If I see business logic in the endpoint layer at all, I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, you get that thing out because you can't reuse that. If somebody needs that business object somewhere else, unless they're willing to make an HTTP call, assuming this is some sort of rest endpoint, they can't do it. They can't use it. So I'm not a fan of that, right? Like 
move that logic somewhere else. Mm -hmm. The other thing I've noticed is I really, as much as I hated that book, I mean, truly hated that design driven or data driven. Going to this one, huh? I knew you were going to this one. Yep. DDD. Yeah. As much as I hated that book and it truly hated that book. Like it was the most boring read on the planet, but it was probably one of the most valuable books that we dug into. In my opinion, I really liked what they laid out in that, right? Like I'm always, when I get into a situation in an application, I'm always looking at it going, man, it would really make sense to set up the aggregate route here, right? You're only interacting at this top level, right? Everything else happens under the scenes. So you're not having to worry about managing 50,000 different objects. Your aggregate route takes care of it all and all the functionalities up there. And, but it's just such a bear to set all of it up. That that I always find that I'm in some sort of hodgepodge type world where it's sort of half implemented in the application I'm working in, but not fully because it's just too much to go after it. Yeah, I, that's the one, you know, like looking through this list of that uh, this author is talking about as or, you know, the commenter or answer or or, or uh, is talking about in this Stack Overflow thing. Um, that's that's the one where like, I don't feel like I have actually been in a DDD type environment that I would really like to be in a, in a for real, you know, code base like that. And to your point, like I would love to go back and restudy that subject, but from a different book. Yeah. Because it's, it is, it's not an easy read. Um, you know, so I don't know, maybe that says more about, maybe that says that I have like, you know, a first grade reading level and, and that's why like, I can't, maybe that was the problem, but yeah, I mean, it was, it's dry. It's not, you know, it, it, it wasn't an entertaining read, you know, compared to some of the, the books we've read, but what he has, uh, what was his name? Evans, uh, Eric, was it Eric Evans? Eric no. Evans, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, what he, gave to the world in that book is invaluable, but you know, uh, so maybe there's like an easier to, you know, maybe there, maybe there's like a DDD for dummies or, you know, for first graders. And, and I should read that one instead. I feel like I'm being very pessimistic and hard on myself tonight. I'm in a really dark place, I guess. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> pull you out of the hole. No, it, honestly, it wasn't, it wasn't that um, none of us could understand the book. If I remember right. And it's been a while. It was just so wordy, just right? thick, and the vocabulary, and so yeah. like everything was like kind of had to like chew on each sentence a little bit, you know. Yeah, it was like reading a contract, like like a yeah. legal document. It, it was just mental, like where trying to get through that book, but but some of the, some of what he revealed in his approach to software design was just beautiful in terms of application development. And it it just, it was too hard to consume, I think is really what it boiled down to. But so, so yeah, I mean, I wanted to bring that up because I was curious if it was just me that looks at stuff that, you know, I've been doing for 20 years and still going, should I put that a different, like, should I put that a service? Should I, should I put it in the, nah, I shouldn't go in that data object. That doesn't make any sense. Nah, I, I'll put it in the service. I mean, I definitely try to keep like, 
DTOs simple, you know, personally, uh, I just want to like transfer the information. I, I don't want to have a lot of logic. That's the one thing where like, I think my approach. Okay. So Michael outlaws approach to object oriented development today versus when he was in school or fresh out of school, you know, is different because at that time, like I felt like we were kind of taught in school, like, Hey, you know, one of the things about object oriented programming is that you could have this thing that has memory space to like know its state, but then you can also have methods to call on it and do things with it. And now I don't know, maybe I've just like gotten to a point where like, it's more like you think in like kind of functional kind of programming kind of respects, but yet because you're in an object oriented world, then you're like, okay, well I'm just going to pass you back a simple DTO Cause I don't want you to really be able to muck around with it. Like here it is. And if you want a method to do something with it, then, you know, here's another method that can take a DTO in and return one or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? Totally. So what you're saying is, and I was getting ready to ask you this because where you were leading with it is you treat, you use object oriented less for its polymorphic, capabilities than for its contractual benefit. So yeah, the type system. Yeah, exactly. So, so we're not trying to make a square a rectangle or a rectangle, a, a square or anything like that. We're saying, yo, we got a shape. Here's our interface. And with that shape, you can get the area of it, right? Like as it, it's different than when we were being taught where it was like, Hey, you got to try and figure out how to cram everything to fit this particular thing. Now it's more like, yo, the contract, what's the functionality that this thing can do. And then let things fit into that, which goes back to, I think our first episode, which was eyes for interface. Right. So is, I mean, that, I, is that how I, you think about I, it too? I do use interfaces. So I don't want you to not take that away. I don't want that to be the takeaway, but I'm more thinking about it as like, uh, you know, okay. So like reading through this, you know, how, just briefly looking at this answer on stack overflow, right? Like, you know, the service thing to me, I think of is like, that's going to be a collection of, you know, functionality. It's going to be a collection of methods that you can go to do stuff. It doesn't have state. I don't think of it as having state, but it might pass back some state and it might take in some state as part of like one of those methods, right? You know, you'll pass state into the method, then it'll return back a result, which is state. And, and so that state going in and out is where I think of the DTOs, but I mean, I don't know. I, I, it's more composition over, over the polymorphism, I guess is what I'm getting at. And I think Jay Z, you were touching on that a little bit too, is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much where I'm at. Like when, when, uh, definitely if I was programming 10 years ago, then I would have done things very differently. Like I would have bundled a lot more behavior into my objects. And so we, you know, I mentioned the, like a game earlier, if I had an enemy class that represented a, you know, certain type of enemy or represented all enemies and you uh, would subclass it, then it would probably have had code that knew how to save itself to the database. And it would have had the code that knew how to render it on screen. It would have had the code that knew all its abilities. And so like, I would have had all that stuff in one spot. Which maybe sounds like not so nice, or maybe sounds not so bad because you know if you have everything that that uh, class owns is all available right there, and I can change it, and it doesn't affect any other code. 
But in reality, what happens is like there's all these little separate, you know, separate subsystems. So like maybe I'm changing how the rendering works, and now I got to go into my player class and my enemy class and my uh, object class. And there's these cross-cutting concerns that I uh, have kind of built in by making these things silos of all their features. And so th- that didn't feel right to me. And so now I'm much more likely to kind of think about things in layers. So maybe I would have like a, a graphical interface and database interface and a, you know, whatever, uh, whatever other business logic interface. Um, and so I, w- I would split that stuff out now because I want to be able to go change the things that change together together. And so if I w- want to make a changing a change to the rendering, I want to go to the rendering system. If I make a change to the database, I want to go to the database system and make those changes. And so I think about things more horizontally, I think across the board. And so I do end up with a lot more classes that are smaller, uh, but it's just easier for me to kind of recognize and I keep the things that are similar together. So I don't have like SQL spread out throughout every object because, you know, each object knows how to get its data and marshal its own data, which that was kind of old, old Joe style there. And now I definitely don't do that. So, I mean, I'm thinking even if like the, I don't know, have we ever talked about that? Uh, the, you know, the quote DB code generator like on here before. I don't know that we've ever talked about that on here. We have, but uh, you know, I mean, kind of to your point, Joe, like, okay. So if we have it, I'll back up for a second. You know, it's just a bit of code that I wrote where you could point it to a database and it would generate out uh, a C sharp, a set of C sharp uh, files and, and whatnot that um, mapped to that database so that you didn't directly know in your C sharp, for example, you don't directly know anything about the database, uh, but yet everything would be typed in C sharp to match that database. Right. So I guess kind of think of it as like an ORM, except uh, I guess technically under the covers, it's using Dapper as it's micro ORM. But the point is, is that like, you know, every call to that thing, um, you know, was it OO? Yeah. I mean, it definitely used some OO features to be able to, uh, you know, map all of those, those, uh, routines together and, uh, you know, how, um, you know, there were definitely interfaces for like the connection and, you know, things like that. But like literally it was more like, you know, just a collection of like, Hey, here's, you know, for example, uh, your stored procedures in the database, right? Like, all your stored procedures just listed as a method, right? And and you would pass in the necessary state to execute, you know, so you might pass in the transaction and, and, and the connection, but, um, well, actually you didn't really know that you were, that that was happening because that was all happening through dependency injection. But the point is, is that like, <clears throat> you know, I definitely have a different approach to the way I think about object oriented programming today than I did back then where like, you know, let the state get passed in, and I don't really like objects that try to keep a bunch of state. They're hard to write tests for too. And I think that's a big part of what has changed me over the years is the more that I got into writing unit tests and whatnot, then the less I liked anything that had state in it because it was way more difficult and challenging to a uh, unit to write those unit tests for. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. I mean, that's I, I've sort of grown grown along those same lines to where I very much lean towards composition over inheritance. Like, you know, the earlier version of me, also I would have been like, okay, well, there's a person, then that person's going to have an employee subclass, and and a subclass of that class might be a manager, 
And then, you know, and you'd have these multiple level levels of things and that gets really hard to work with over time, right? It gets harder to bug. It gets hard to reason about. And so now instead of that, you know, I might have a person object with everything on it. And then there will be certain attributes or things that you can plug into it that will show that it's a manager or something like it. It's, it's building up objects as opposed to having multiple levels of inheritance. And, and I've found that to be easier to do over time and, and easier to understand, I think. So, yeah. It's all very procedural. It's like, that's like when we was learning, oh, oh, it was like, that's not how you do it. You supposed to, each object should have its own state and it should modify it and it should have behaviors. And yeah, the, like the time has not been too kind to OO in that sense. Like, uh, I definitely think like functional slash procedural code is kind of, kind of won the, the mind share there because I think every, I don't think anyone has really, I don't think the zeitgeist has changed how we code that much, but more that we kind of accept how we were coding all along. So yeah. some of those OO rules, like you could find that, you know, the OO gurus and they'd write, you know, write books and books and articles on, how, uh, you know, how to kind of program things in an OO way. And I feel like there was a, a long time there when people were just trying to do it and they were trying to find these rules. Like, remember, like every framework there on the web would be like, okay, here's your DAO, here's your service, here's your beans, here's your whatever. And they were kind of taking these cues and trying to fit everything into these little boxes and, and like everyone just got fed up of it. Yeah. <laughs> and they got fed up talking about it and they just kept doing things the same way, except now we, you know, accept it more. And I think, I think what you said is also a really important thing that, that you learn as you do this longer. It's the cross cutting concerns that come back to bite you every single time, right? So your storage layer, if you're building that into every single class that you're doing, then if your storage layer modifies even a little bit, you have to modify every single class you had out there instead of having, you know, something that handled your storage and then, then receive those objects that it needed to work with. So, yeah, man, it, it, again, it's just funny. Like after having doing this stuff so long that you still sit there and you look and you're like, uh, service class. Yeah. Service. I'll put it in service, put it in the controller. No, not the controller. Put it in, so, you know, it's just constantly back and forth in your head. I mean, I did, I did find humorous that the humor isn't lost on me. They were saying that like, uh, that you said the thing that you said at the start where like service is, uh, you know, much like the manager, right. Right. You know, like that, that's kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah. It's true though. It is. It truly is. Like you don't, you know, if I, if I gave you a class named factory, then you immediately have an idea what it does. Right. Right. But if, if you gave me a class called service or manager, I'm like, Oh, what does that mean? <laughs> Isn't it crazy? And and services used so much in programming. Like you hear the term all the time. I mean, we have a truckload of it in our code. <laughs> yep. Oh yep. man. So all right. That was that was I'll go I make have. a commit to remove that. <laughs> all right. Well, I got an easy one. Um M one slash M one X MacBooks. Like, should I just get it? Yes or no? Yes. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Coding Blocks. <laughs> Have you looked into because you want to do software dev on it, right? Yeah, and so that's kind of my concern is it's a different architecture, and so you know, I, like I understand the benefits of the chips, and you know, less power use and more, you know, it's tightly it's tightly integrated with the RAM, I guess. So all that sounds great, but it's a different architecture, and so I hate like when I downloaded K9's Alpha today, 
I had to choose Darwin uh, 3264 or Darwin, uh, you know, whatever the risk. And uh, it just makes me nervous, you know, about the split. I think we've talked about this before, but I'm just like wanting to just do it. <laughs> I think yeah. I'm just going to do it. I, I think I would. I would do it because it, it might be bumpy here at the start of it, right? I mean, what we're, we're, are we a year into this now? Yeah. Or? Yeah, we're about to get the second generation of M chips. Yeah, I think the second generation is about when I'd do the jump. Well, I think so, because my, my current laptop is tiring. Second generation, but it's going to be the first real MacBook Pro, right? Right. I mean, there is a MacBook Pro, the 13, but it, was, it wasn't it was really much of a change, right? And now the new ones they're going to come out with, they're going to come out with, I think, you know, the rumors are going to be a 14 and a 16-inch version, and... You know, this would be the the real one in my you know, mind. Yeah, calling the 13 inch a pro was weird because it like it, by default it had like eight gigs of RAM and stuff. And like if you're like a developer, well, that's you know, there's different kinds of developers. Like some, you know, so you can get away without. Like if you're running like Docker stuff at all, like eight is not enough. Like <laughs> the Docker's gonna want for that just right out the gate. Right. You know? Yeah, depending on what you're trying to run there, for sure. Yeah, I think. I would definitely be warmer on it when they come out with a 16 incher uh, because Apple knows that they've got a developer community using their hardware. No question. And I think, I think that the company's doing the software behind this stuff, it's going to ramp up real quick. If there's bugs or if there's any problems with it, I think it'll get resolved pretty soon. I just remember this, this is Apple that took away my headphone jack, took away my escape key you know, took away my keyboard. They took away my maglev. It's like, do they do they really know who I am anymore? <laughs> well, they do after well, a few years because they gave they gave all that back eventually, right? But it took them like four years to get out of that cycle. Did you say the the MagSafe? Is that what you said? Uh, yeah, the uh, whatever that's coming the power. Back. Yeah, so is the keyboard. So and, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, the the headphone jack that was ridiculous. The escape key, all of it was just like. I mean, why? they try things though, so I mean, like, how can you fault them? Like, what, oh, what would be the alternative them. to just? Yeah, well, I mean, we'll do it on this show. We will, sir. We will. We will definitely <laughs> yeah. fault them. But yeah. but I mean, on the flip side though, you know, the alternative would be that they never tried anything ever, and you know, then you would have Max that still look like you know Max from twenty thirty years ago. Like, I don't think we want that. So. I mean, they try things and, you know, some of them are just dumb ideas that fails. Like this touch bar thing needs to die. Why is it still here? It's six years in. Why is that thing still here? Is it, has it really been six years? I think so. Yeah. 2015. Really? Remember the, uh, the magic mouse that you had to charge upside down? (laughs) Oh yeah. You couldn't charge it and use it at the same time. Um, And there's just been some things where it's just like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that still the current mouse though? The track? I believe so. Yeah. If you wanted that. so. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't fault companies for trying new things, but man, don't get rid of the headphone jack. Oh, the that, love of God. That's gone. That's a that's that's a done thing. We it's back on the 2020. They got it. We talk. We don't talk about that anymore. I mean, they, they I trying just to bought get a couple of dongles for headphones. For, yeah, uh, 35 millimeter. They, they're trying to give everybody the head cancer. That's what they're trying to do. <laughs> you have to put some okay. wireless yeah. things up in your grill. Yeah, you still have to you, the the current Magic Mouse still charges on the bottom. 
<laughs> yeah, like n- nobody's mentioned that. Nobody thought it. Like, did, because you they know don't what would make happen. the developers use it? You know work? what? You know what would happen is every if they put the charge in the front, then everybody would just put it there, and it would be a wired mouse because it would always be <laughs> charging. Like they would, nobody would unplug yeah, it ever, awful. and they didn't want. I'm sure. Like I guarantee one? you, there was a conversation that went like this, where they were like, "Well, we don't want it to be to look like a wired mouse, and so we need to force them to not." You know, plug it in. Yeah, I guarantee you that conversation happened. Yeah, is that like they escaped you? It's like we know that you want this, but there's better programs to use than them now. So you should just not. You should move on. Yeah, you don't need the escape button anymore. It's so funny too. Like when you look at the 2020 MacBook Pro where they put it back, it's just that one button up there. That's yeah, it. yeah, <laughs> right. Well, there's the Touch ID button. I, uh, I don't yeah. even pay attention to that, but yeah, it's really funny. It's like, okay, you guys griped enough. We'll put the one button back there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just stop. I like it. the function keys too, though. Come I on. do too. I, I don't know that I get to argue about that anymore because now with the Moonlander, <laughs> I gave away all of them. Yeah. And I don't even have an option to bring them back unless I like get into a weird layer that I then get stuck in. And I'm like, wait, what happened? I'm telling yeah. you, man, we need to, what we need to do is we need to Kickstarter our own thing. And by saying this live, somebody else is going to do it. Mm-hmm. We need to make a keyboard that has some OLED keycaps on it so that you can actually see the buttons <laughs> that you reprogram on your keyboard. Oh, basically uh, like the stream deck, but as a full, you know. Yeah. Yeah. With some keyboard, really nice yeah. non-blue. And there keycaps. was one of those back like in 2007. Yeah. Uh, you said, what was it? I don't remember what it was called though. But that dude, like that was way too far ahead of its time. Like 2007, you know how much it would have cost to have had keycaps with screens on them back then, man. Yeah. That thing would have been a few thousand dollars. It would be. Okay. So, so said another way, if you could have a programmable keyboard, so like this Moonlander, instead of the dashes, you could have like little LCD screens so that when you program it to be whatever you want, you could like have something meaningful on the key so that you could see like, Oh, I've now made this the backspace or whatever. Right. Instead of like, I have to guess at uh, (laughs) 25 different dash keys. Like, wait, which one of these is the escape? I forgot which one Uh, I I did. And I'm always remapping it. So I've gotten better with it though. I will say this. I broke into the seventies finally in my words per minute uh, with this, but you know, a big part of that now is that um, I've given up playing any kind of video games, no more Overwatch. Uh, my favorite game of choice now is to see what kind of word per minute high score I can get on typing <laughs> games. Uh, and uh, yeah, I play about 18 hours of that a day. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, well, yeah, we love our love the dark themes though, too, like in uh, Visual Studio and and uh. Track Darkula in uh, IntelliJ, right? But do you know why they spell the dark with a K and not a C? No, you can't see in the dark. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome! Very good. I, I knew it was coming. I didn't know what it was. But I yeah, was I tried. I tried. I got. I, I got to get better at that. I guess you, you guys are like onto my tricks. We, we but, didn't yeah. give you a good segue that time, so it <laughs> was true. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, I can blame you. Oh, well, then uh, by all means. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to pull you out of that dark hole you're in. Yeah. So I don't know what it is, man. I think I've just spent too much time down here in the basement. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That one's from Mike RG. So thank you, Mike RG. Nice. nice. Um, 
And with that, I guess we'll wrap it up. I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we can't skip my favorite part. Well, I was getting to that part, dude. I, but this is the wrap up. <laughs> don't you think so? No. no. Oh, okay. Well. This is, uh, yeah. So now it's time for Alan's favorite portion of the show that is not the wrap up. I was kind of concerned, but okay. Uh, we'll have a bunch of links that we like and the resources we like, but now it's time for the tip of the week. All right. And this one is from Morton Olsred, who I definitely, I definitely did not know this tip, uh, when he sent it to me. He's, uh, at Canis 1980 on Twitter. If you go to github.com, Find yourself a repository and hit period. Have you done this yet? No, no I'm doing it right now. Okay. Yeah, I saw your yeah. tip and Give I was like, hold up. Just hit period. What happens? Nothing. Uh, I need. Wait, I might have hit the wrong key. <laughs> <laughs> really? Nothing's happening? Well, don't don't you, have, you have to go to a file, right? Like, you're not just going to be able to. I, just, I went to a repo. Yeah, you can't just go to like github.com. Sorry, you have to go to repo. Yeah, you're going to have to go into a repo and find I was a in file. a repo. You don't have to go to a file. You don't have to go to a file. Hey, it doesn't work on mine. Okay. Well, it's not working on mine either. Okay. Well, I'm going to go to. Why does it not work? What do you got? Tip is dead. No. So you go to like uh, github.com slash coding blocks. Okay. Slash coding Right. Hold on. I wasn't in that one. Maybe that's. Slash coding blocks. And just pick the first repo there. Okay. Okay, getting started with scaffold. Okay. Hit period. It's a period. Nothing. Nothing. What? Yeah, nothing. You have to install Maybe something? they've rolled out. Maybe it's, this is a feature that's being feature flagged, and uh, we aren't lucky. It, it I don't happen. understand. Are you both on OS X or Mac OS? No, uh, I'm, I'm on, on Windows. Windows. I'm on Windows. What the heck? But I Wait, could also be hitting in? like a backslash key and not realize it. Or maybe Hold on. Let me, let me sign in. Let me see. Uh, was I not signed in? All right, let me sign in. How do you not sign in to GitHub? That's like my identity on half the internet now. Well, I think I got signed out just automatically, maybe. I don't know. Um, you got um, Yeah. Ah, uh, you have to be signed in, guys. Wow. Okay. There you go. Tip Tip is now legit again. Man. Oh, you can even choose the you look you want. Describe what you see? Uh, so... So I was I was on whatever repo it was, and then I hit the the dot the period on the keyboard, and it says, "Hey, get started with Visual Studio Code." You can choose your theme, which I'm going to go ahead and do some GitHub Dark, and then next section, next section. Oh, come on, just open up. Too many too many things. Mark done. Do it. Oh, it opened up Visual Studio Code. Oh. With the repo as your file system on the left. Yep. And have you ever gone to find a file that you weren't quite sure of the name of? And so you go to like that. There's like a little tiny go to file link in uh, in GitHub that's kind of hard to find. And you can search for stuff. Yeah. This is VS Code. You can do Control P and start typing whatever file you know. So if you know you're looking for readme, just start typing me. Yeah. So Control P and then readme. Yeah. And you can make edits right here too. Oh, dude, uh, this is nice. sick. Yeah, it's nice. And uh, Code Spaces have got integration with other features. You can install extensions. Don't ask me how that works. Uh, I guess it would just do it in your browser and you. I don't know. 
You know what this reminds me of is, uh, do you remember, this reminds me of a past sponsor, um, coder.com. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what this reminds me of because they had, uh, they were doing uh, visual studio code in the browser and they were creating like a VM for you. You know, that, that that's what you were technically working in. Yep. So if you were to install like extensions or whatever, it was in that, it was specific to that VM. Yeah. If virtual, we keep seeing more and more about uh, people using virtual code spaces like that, where like, uh, I mean, that's what the, the effort was. It. I, just, I just said, a yeah, observation of it. Uh, something is, um, yeah, I forget. It was it code spaces or something like that? But yeah, it's uh, like uh, having a computer that's not on your computer. There's uh, definitely some advantages there. And this is how you can get away with using a, um, a Chromebook for so long. I yeah. mean, this is, this is pretty awesome. Okay. It's a legit tip control now. P you can search, you can do regex, you can do all the stuff that you're used to doing in your editor on online repositories. Like how many times have you gone and downloaded a repo? You've cloned the repo just so you could like kind of search it and open it in your tools. Totally. You're looking at some open source project. Well, the one, the one thing that I don't see that you can do uh local that you can't do here is you can't bring up a terminal. Mm, yeah, no terminal. So, which is super convenient when you want to be able to like you know uh, run stuff you know wh- while while you're doing your code. But yeah, what a, I mean, aside wait, from wait. that one minor thing, maybe terminals are not available in the web editor. You need to continue an environment that can run it. Ah, oh, interesting. And, but I do think Coder.com, if I remember right, I think they did have that. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, there was like a. It was, I forgot how they did it. But um, yeah, they were you were able to have your complete development environment there. It was like just a virtual computer. Dude, yeah. So this is this is some of the gloriousness that happens because Microsoft bought GitHub, right? Like this is pretty sweet. Okay, but if we're gonna talk about that, then I feel like there's an elephant in the room because I'm gonna go okay, here you go. You ready? Here comes an unpopular opinion that needs uh, to be said. Uh, Azure DevOps is greater than GitHub. Amen, brother. Uh, it's out there now. It's out there in the world. And for anybody who wants to argue with me about that, if you've never used Azure DevOps, then first of all, then I'm, I can't listen to your argument, right? That's not even a fair argument if you haven't used it. But they're both owned by Microsoft, and there are so many more features that are in Azure DevOps that I wish were in GitHub that are just so great. Uh, like... One of my favorites from uh, that I know that we all miss the most is in Azure DevOps. You can set up branch policies that are far easier to do in Azure DevOps than they are in GitHub, uh, and more co- more complete too. By the way, in the in the things that you can do with it, um, but uh, you can set up because you have those automa- those branch policies. You can set up automatic merging of your pull requests as long as the, your uh, pull request meets the policies including like once it's done it can like you know remove your branch for you automatically too and you can decide like how you want it to merge like it's so much better yeah i agree i agree well this is a this is a very good tip here i I like this one yeah it's pretty cool must be logged in (laughs) yeah that was a that was a that was a tricky way to get us into it joe yep um yeah. All right. Well then, uh, for my tip of the week, uh, I've got a few here. 
that I wanted to share. So a friend of ours uh, mentioned this and, and I wanted to share this cause you know, we like to support our hometown heroes. And so this is a group based here out of Atlanta. Uh, the, a couple guys that started a podcast called the perfect album side. And if you like music, I don't see how you could not enjoy giving this uh, podcast a listen. Um, I'll have links to it. It's on all the major platforms. Um, but uh, so I'll have some links to it, but you know, there are, there are, um, titles like, uh, sports anthems. And so what, what the, the premise of the show is that the two guys, they will pick whatever their topic is going to be. So sports anthems, and then they'll, they'll each come pick six songs that they think best represent that particular topic. And then they'll bring them together and discuss it. And then at the end, they will uh, merge that all into like, okay, let's pick the best six of our collective 12. Right. And so if there's any like overlaps, then clearly that automatically has to make the cut. But um, yeah, it's, you know, best TV theme songs or uh, power ballads, uh, you know, things like that. It's, it's just so fun to listen to. And, um, you know, uh, some of it, you're just going back and you're like, and, and they'll go into details about some of the songs too. So like one of them, um, that I didn't, I never, I didn't know this. I didn't ever heard about this, but I went back and looked for the video of it and it was, uh, amazing to watch it, um, live. And was, they were talking about like the greatest, do you remember when, uh, do you remember MTV? First of all, uh, <laughs> that used a to minute. be a thing. Yep. MTV and yep. and for those who've never heard of MTV, they used to just play music on it, and it was so weird. But one of the one of the episodes, and I think it's the first one, is talking about like the the MTV unplugged, like what were the best songs from M- MTV, the entire MTV unplugged, you know, years, the series of it, right? And so, like immediately, you like, uh you know, songs the world might come to, what was that man who sold the world? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, David Bowie cover by Nirvana. Yeah. Um, so, so those types of things might come to mind. Right. And one of the things that they were talking about during this, that I had never realized is that, um, they were saying that for a while there, there was this, uh, I don't know, theory among people that, that paid attention to this sort of thing that, um, what happened was in the, I think it was the 1989 or something like that. Um, MTV, uh, you know, music awards where, uh, they introduced, um, John Bon Jovi and, and, uh, Richie Sambora out onto the stage to, to sing. And it blew away everybody's minds because the, you know, they, you know, everybody's expecting Bon Jovi, the band, to come out and like plug in and play. And instead the two of them walked out and grabbed each grabbed a couple, you know, an acoustic guitar and, you know, Richie Sambora on a double neck, uh, acoustic. Um, and they did, um, acoustic covers of, uh, living on a prayer and wanted dead or alive. And people had theorized that that was so that, um, live performance at the, the, uh, what did they call it? The MT, uh, MTVs, the, I don't even remember. Um, but that, that MTV music awards, um, 
that performance was so wildly popular that that was the catalyst that like introduced, like that was why we got MTV unplugged, but they actually mentioned in, in the podcast here, the perfect album side that like, apparently that was, you know, just rumor. It was actually, you know, MTV claims that it was already in the works. MTV unplugged was already in the works, but you know, I mean, uh, I'm going on and on about MTV unplugged, but really like the perfect album side, it's a great podcast. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed listening to it. I, I think you'll enjoy it too. Um, yeah. So, uh, there's that. Cool. So back to things that are technical. Um, I, I never really, I think we've talked about Docker system prune in the past maybe, but, um, there's a new option for it that was introduced with, uh, 1.28, the 1.28 version of the Docker API that includes a filter capability. And so with that, you can, you can include a key value pair as, as your filter. So when you do a Docker system prune, you can, you know, filter on things, right? Namely, one of the things that you could filter on is you could say like until equal and say 70, 72H, right? So you want to filter everything that's uh, older than the 72 hours. So anything that goes beyond the past three days. So uh, a super handy way to clean up your environment, um, which you know we were talking about Minikube uh, earlier, is becomes especially helpful for those users because a uh, Minikube runs everything inside of its own VM, and it's easy to not even be aware of uh, how much space your Minikube VM might have consumed within it. And so, uh, you know, if you want to like not blow away all your Docker cache, but just some of it, then this is a great option for that. Uh, and, I, and I'll include a link to the documentation for the Docker system prune. Uh, but yeah, this would be like a Docker system prune dash dash filter equals. And then in quotes, you would give your key value pair. So uh, until equal 72 H. Then the, the last one we've talked about the GitHub CLI before. Right. Um, and the, if you haven't you already used the GitHub CLI, then you should definitely check it out. You can find the GitHub CLI at uh, cli.github.com. But here's the cool shortcut. So we've talked about, um, I think in the past, when we first, when I first mentioned the GitHub CLI, that if you wanted to create a PR from the command line, you could do something like uh, gh space PR space create. Um, to create it. And, and I also do like a dash dash fill when I do that. So that like whatever my last, uh, comment was, it takes that as the, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the description, the description the of the PR. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Well, I stumbled onto this little trick that I didn't realize that it would do as, a, and this is the shortcut for it. Did you know, that that one step will also push your branch for you oh, nice. to your origin. Oh, that's nice. Not only will it push it and push it good, but uh, <laughs> see who gets that reference. Um, but you could also do other things like, you know, fork the remote repo and then push that and push your fork. Like, so the point is, is that it's, um, you know, you can save yourself a step because my, uh, you know, standard operating procedure has always been, you know, I'll, I'll, uh, get commit, whatever my last thing is, 
get pull rebase uh you know my origin because i don't share my history until i'm ready um so that's the only reason why i can get away with the rebase and then uh ghpr create the pr but now i could actually like oh i'm sorry there was also the step of where i I push the remote up I i push my branch up to the origin and but now i can save myself a step and just do the pr of the creation at the same time. So I thought it was a pretty cool little thing. That was like a hidden little feature that I hadn't seen, uh, you know, mentioned. So that puts your salt and pepper back into your, uh, GitHub CLI. That's good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I see what you did there, sir. I see what you did. Yes. I found your, I I, I found your reference where you're talking about eighties music. So it was all right there, Mm -hmm. right there. Yep. All right. So I've only got one this week, but I stumbled across. Yeah. Okay. I know. Feeling all right. We need to call a doctor. So I think this one is good enough to qualify for many. Um, so one of the things that I've been working on, it, we've stored, actually Jay-Z and I have, have been stuck into this thing where it's like, we're, we're using some GCS cloud storage, right? And that's great for your running application, but if you need to run things locally, well, then it's like, how do I abstract away this file system garbage, right? Like, I, all right, so I'm writing to GCS. Well, what do I do if I'm doing local? Like, And then what if you need to do AWS or Azure or anything like that? So then you start thinking, well, I don't know, man. What? I, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know how much work I want to put into this. So I was looking around the other day, and I was looking for, like, cloud abstraction libraries. And wouldn't you know it, there's an Apache's project or an, an Apache project out there. And this one's called J clouds. And this thing is really cool. So what they've done is they've basically tried to go and create abstractions using Java libraries so that you can write your code and potentially run it on any one of these cloud platforms, AWS, cloud Sigma, cloud stack, DigitalOcean, Docker, cloud GCP, uh, Azure, OpenStack, Packet, Profit, Rackspace, they have a bunch more. So what's cool is if you have a blob store that you're trying to write files to, you know, you'll have some configuration in there that will tell it whether or not it's GCS or Azure or whatever. You write your code one way and then it just works on any cloud you stick it on that this thing supports. And it, and I was looking at this thing at some point and I want to say it was sort of like adapters is what you build in. I believe this is the one. Um, so really cool stuff. Um, and they call it the Java multi-cloud toolkit. So if you are somebody that is having to make your code and we'll say Java specifically code run across different clouds out there, you probably already using tools like Terraform and things like that to, to, to deploy these things and configure them. This might be a good thing to make your application not be so difficult to write to work across these multiple platforms. So really cool stuff. Very cool. Why is everything with Java start with a J though? Like why is it J clouds? I guess if it was going to be in C sharp though, it'd be like clouds.net. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but it is kind of annoying though. It's like, can we get a different naming standard? Just cloud. Just cloud. Yep. Cloud clouds.apache.net. Uh, yeah, there we go. I guess if it's a if it's a Java thing, though, maybe it should be like Cloud Simple, 
Right, <laughs> Cloud Zimple. God, it always <laughs> makes me cringe. I hate the imples. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, the C sharp version would be iClouds. Yes. Or would iCloud. that be the Apple That's version? That's the Apple version. Apple, yeah. yeah. And then you'd have a conflict with yeah. C sharp, yeah. Now we're now Windows we're, Cloud. Azure Cloud. Definitely. Azure Cloud. Yes. A Cloud. All right. Well, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, in case if you know someone gave you a link and you're listening to this for the first time and you're not already subscribed, uh, you can subscribe to us on all of the major podcast platforms, um, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcasts. Uh, and if you find a place that uh, you like to get your podcast and we're not there, uh, let us know. We'll figure that out and get it sorted out. You can uh, find some links for to leave us uh, a review uh, at www.codingblocks.net slash review and I I guess um, either way you're going to hear a DJ voice so it doesn't really matter if I say the, you know like if I try to help you out by like n- you know saying that you won't hear one if you leave one they'll probably say it anyway so it won't matter totally all right so hey while you're up there at codingblocks.net make sure you check out the show notes they're usually really good oh, usually they have usually usually yeah, most of the time. Wow, oh. that's harsh. <laughs> no, they, they are. being negative. They're copious and, and all-inclusive, so definitely check those out. We have shown us examples, discussions, and much more. And you can send your feedback or questions to our Slack channel. If you're not there, go to codingblocks.net slash Slack. And uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks. And uh, you can head over to codingblocks.net. Find all of our social links uh, at the top of the page. 